Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. From KQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. My name is Jasmine Ward, and I'm reading from my novel, Salvage the Bones. The first day, birth in a bare bulb place. China's turned on herself. If I didn't know, I would think she was trying to eat her paws. I would think that she was crazy, which she is in a way. Won't let nobody touch her but skeet. When she was a big-headed pit bull puppy, she stole all the shoes in the house. All our black tennis shoes Mama bought because they hide dirt and hold up until they're beaten soft. Only Mama's forgotten sandals, thin-heeled and tinted pink with so much red mud seeped into them, look different. China hid them all under furniture, behind the toilet, stacked them in piles and slept on them. When the dog was old enough to run and trip down the steps on her own, she took the shoes outside, put them in shallow ditches under the house. She'd stand rigid as a pine when we tried to take them away from her. Now, China is giving like she once took away, bestowing where she once stole. She is birthing puppies. What China is doing is nothing like what Mama did when she had my youngest brother, Junior. Mama gave birth in the house she bore all of us in, here in this gap in the woods her father cleared and built on that we now call the pit. Me, the only girl, and the youngest at eight, was of no help, although Daddy said she told him she didn't need any help. Daddy said that Randall and Skeeter and me came fast, that Mama had all of us in her bed, under her own bare, burning bulb. So when it was time for Junior, she thought she could do the same. It didn't work that way. Mama squatted, screamed toward the end. Junior came out purple and blue as a hydrangea, Mama's last flower. She touched Junior just like that when Daddy held him over her, lightly with her fingertips, like she was afraid she'd knock the pollen from him, spoil the bloom. She said she didn't want to go to the hospital. Daddy dragged her from the bed to his truck, trailing her blood, and we never saw her again. What China is doing is fighting, like she was born to do. Fight our shoes, fight other dogs, fight these puppies that are reaching for the outside, blind and wet. China's sweating and the boys are gleaming, and I can see Daddy through the window of the shed, his face shining like the flash of a fish under the water when the sun hit. It's quiet, heavy, feels like it should be raining, but it isn't. There are no stars, and the bare bulbs of the pit burn. Get out the doorway. you making her nervous. Skeeta is Daddy's copy, dark, short, and lean, his body knotted with ropey muscles. He is the second child, 16, but he is the first for China. She only has eyes for him. She ain't studding us, Randall says. He's the oldest, 17, taller than Daddy, but just as dark. He has narrow shoulders and eyes that look like they want to jump out of his head. People at school think he's a nerd, but when he's on the basketball court, he moves like a rabbit, all quick grace and long haunches. When Daddy is hunting, I always cheer for the rabbit. She need room to breathe. Skeeta's hands slide over her fur, and he leans in to listen to her belly. She gotta relax. Ain't nothing about her relax. Randall is standing at the side of the open doorway, holding the sheet that Skeeta has nailed up for a door. For the past week, Skeeta has been sleeping in the shed, waiting for the birth. 
Every night, I waited until he cut the light off, until I knew he was asleep, and I walked out of the back door to the shed, stood where I'm standing now, to check on him. Every time, I found him asleep, his chest to her back. He curled around China like a fingernail around flesh. I want to see. Junior is hugging Randall's legs, leaning in to see but without the courage to stick in more than his nose. China usually ignores the rest of us, and Junior usually ignores her. But he is seven, and he is curious. When the boy from Germain bought his male pit bull to the pit to mate with China three months ago, Junior squatted on an old drum above the makeshift kennel, an old, disconnected truck bed dug in the earth with chicken wire stretched over it, and watched. When the dogs got stuck, he circled his face with his arms, but still refused to move when I yelled at him to go in the house. He sucked on his arm and played with the dangling skin of his ear, like he does when he watches television or before he falls to sleep. I asked him once why he does it, and all he would say is that it sounds like water. Skeeta ignores Junior because he is focused on China like a man focuses on a woman when he feels that she is his, which China is. Randall doesn't say anything, but stretches his hand across the door to block Junior from entering. No, Junior. I put out my leg to complete the gate barring Junior from the dog, from the yellow string of mucus pooling to a puddle on the floor under China's rear. Let him see, Daddy says. He old enough to know about that. His is a voice in the darkness, orbiting the shed. He has a hammer in one hand, a clutch of nails in another. China hates him. I relax, but Randall doesn't move, and neither does Junior. Daddy spins away from us like a comet into the darkness. There is the sound of hammer hitting metal. He makes her tense, Skeeta says. Maybe you need to help her push, I say. Sometime, I think that is what killed Mama. I can see her, chin to chest, straining to push Junior out, and Junior snagging on her insides, grabbing hold of what he caught on to try to stay inside her, but instead he pulled it out with him when he was born. She don't need no help pushing. And China doesn't. Her sides ripple. She snarls, her mouth a black line. Her eyes are red. The mucus runs pink. Everything about China tenses, and there are a million marbles under her skin, and then she seems to be turning herself inside out. At her opening, I see a purplish-red bulb. China is blooming. If one of Daddy's drinking buddies had asked what he's doing tonight, he would have told them he's fixing up for the hurricane. It's summer, and when it's summer, there's always a hurricane coming or leaving here. Each pushes its way through the flat gulf to the 26-mile man-made Mississippi beach, where they knock against the old summer mansions with their slave galleys turned guest houses before running over the bayou, through the pines, to lose wind, drip rain, and die in the north. Most don't even hit us head-on anymore. Most turn right to Florida or take a left for Texas, brush past and glanced off us like a shirt sleeve. We ain't had one come straight for us in years, time enough to forget how many jugs of water we need to fill, how many cans of sardines and potted meat we should stock, how many tubs of water we need. But on the radio that Daddy keeps playing in his parked truck, I heard them talking about it earlier today. How the forecasters said the 10th tropical depression had just dissipated in the Gulf, but another one seems to be forming around Puerto Rico. So today, Daddy woke me up by hitting the wall outside me in Junior's room. Wake up. We got work to do. Junior rolled over in his bed and curled into the wall. 
I sat up long enough to make Daddy think I was going to get up, and then I lay back down and drifted off. When I woke up two hours later, Daddy's radio was running in his truck. Junior's bed was empty, his blanket on the floor. Junior, get the rest of them shine jugs. Daddy, ain't none under the house. Outside the window, Daddy jabbed at the belly of the house with his can of beer. Junior tugged his shorts. Daddy gestured again, and Junior squatted and slithered under the house. The underside of the house didn't scare him like it had always scared me when I was little. Junior disappeared between the cinder blocks holding up the house for afternoons and would only come out when Skeeter threatened to send China under there after him. I asked Junior one time what he did under there, and all he would say is that he played. I imagined him digging sleeping holes like a dog would, laying on his back in the sandy red dirt and listening to our feet slide and push across the floorboards. Junior had a good arm, and bottles and cans rolled out from under the house like pool balls. They stopped when they hit the rusted-over cow bath Daddy had salvaged from the junkyard where he scraps metal. He'd bought it home for Junior's birthday last year and told him to use it as a swimming pool. Shoot, Randall said. He was sitting on a chair under his homemade basketball goal, a rim he'd stolen from the county park and screwed into the trunk of a dead pine tree. Ain't nothing hit us in years. They don't come this way no more. When I was little, they was always hitting us. It was Manny. I stood at the edge of the bedroom window, not wanting him to see me. Manny threw a basketball from hand to hand. Seeing him broke the cocoon of my ribcage and my heart unfurled to fly. You act like you ancient. You're only two years older than me. Like I don't remember how they used to be, Randall said as he caught the rebound and passed it back to Manny. If anything hit us this summer, it's going to blow down a few branches. News don't know what they're talking about. Manny had black curly hair, black eyes, and white teeth, and his skin was the color of fresh-cut wood at the heart of a pine tree. Every time somebody in Bois Sauvage get arrested, they always get the story wrong. That's a journalist, whether man's a scientist, Randall said. He ain't crap. From where I was, Manny looked like he was blushing, but I knew his face had broken out, tinged him red, and then the rest of it was the scar on his face. Oh, one's coming all right. Daddy wiped his hand along the side of his truck. Manny rolled his eyes and jerked his thumb at Daddy. He shot. Randall caught the ball and held it. There ain't even a tropical depression yet. Randall said to Daddy, and you got Junior bowling with shine bottles. Randall was right. Daddy usually filled a few jugs of water. Canned goods was the only kind of groceries Daddy knew how to make, so we were never short on Vienna sausages and potted meat. We ate Top Ramen every day, soupy, added hot dogs, drained the juice so it was spicy pasta, dry, it tasted like crackers. The last time we'd had a bad storm hit head-on, Mama was alive. After the storm, she'd barbecued all the meat left in the silent freezer so it wouldn't spoil, and Skeeter ate so many hot sausage links, he got sick. Randall and I had fought over the last pork chop, and Mama had pulled us apart while Daddy laughed about it, saying she can hold her own, told her she was going to be a little scrappy, scrawny thing, built just like you. This year's different, Daddy said, as he sat on the back of his trunk. For a moment, he looked not drunk. News is right. Every week it's a new storm. Ain't never been this bad. Manny shot again, and Randall chased the ball. Makes my bones hurt, Daddy said. I can feel them coming. I pulled my hair back in a ponytail. It was my one good thing, my odd thing, like a Doberman come out white, corkscrew curls, black, 
limp when wet but full as fistfuls of frayed rope when dry. Mama used to let me run around with it down, said it was some throwback trait, and since I got it, I might as well enjoy it. But I looked in the mirror and knew the rest of me wasn't so remarkable. Wide nose, dark skin, Mama's slim, short frame with all the curves folded in so that I looked square. I changed my shirt and listened to him talking outside. The walls, thin and insulated, peeling from each other at the seams, made me feel like Manny could see me before I even stepped outside. Our high school English teacher, Miss Dito, gives us reading every summer. After my ninth grade year, we read As I Lay Dying, and I made an A because I answered the hardest question right. Why does the young boy think his mother is a fish? This summer, after 10th grade, we are reading Edith Hamilton's Mythology. The chapter I finished reading day before yesterday is called Eight Brief Tales of Lovers, and it leads into the story of Jason and the Argonauts. I wondered if Medea felt this way before she walked out to meet Jason for the first time, like a hard wind come through her and set her to shaken. The insects singing as they ring the red dirt yard, the bouncing ball, daddy's blues coming from his truck radio. They all called me out the door. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, visit kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.